Welcome to the EQ4 podcast with me, Deborah McPhillamy. In this podcast, we talk about developing emotional intelligence as well as learning about social intelligence, how to handle your emotions in your relationships, in business, and in your life in general. I also talk to other experts in the field and I'll give you some tools, tips, and techniques to help you to be more EQ. Hello again and welcome back everybody from me Deborah McPhillamy to the EQ Daily Show where we talk about being EQ, we talk about the challenges and we sometimes talk about really hard topics that not many people are wanting to talk about or possibly a little bit too fearful to talk about. So today I'm speaking to Nicola. Now you've probably met Nicola briefly in our first um, episode of our EQ Daily Show and I wanted to talk a little bit more about Nicola because Nicola very courageously has agreed to speak to us about a topic that is hard to talk about. It's sometimes very shocking, it's disturbing, it's upsetting but you know I believe that the more we talk about topics such as these that it becomes easier to deal with it gives people an insight to what is happening in their world and it also helps people to get through it, to give them permission to speak and to heal from it. So welcome back, Nicola. Thanks for having me, Deb. It's really good to be here again. <laughs> You're very welcome. So thank you so much for agreeing to speak about such a heavy topic. And I know sometimes we don't want to talk about heavy topics, but it, it's something that was your reality that you had to deal with, that you had to work through and come out on the other side. And so I thought it's like really important to be able to air this and speak freely about it. And so what I'm going to be speaking to Nicola about is that Nicola is a survivor of rape. Now, I can honestly say that I'm so incredibly grateful that that's something that's never happened to me. It's, it's always been a fear of mine, um, so much so that I went and did a, a rape prevention course and a self-defense course because I was like, oh my gosh, I never want to ever be in that position. And if I do, you know, how do I handle it? So Nick, it's important for you to lead this conversation because I can only ask you questions about what I might be curious about. But I think, how did being raped affect you and possibly even change you for a while afterwards? So, so just maybe take us from the beginning about what happened and, and share as little or as much as you like. No problem. I'm happy to share. I, I think that, um, you know, even when you were talking about, you know, the big word rape, you know, as a child, I associated that work with that word with a big, you know, like a, a stranger that would attack you in a dark alley. You know, that's what mm. the perception always was of what rape was. And as I got older and I really learned the word consent, I started to realize that certain incidences that I was involved with as a teenager were rape, were actually, um, you know, the, the definition of rape. And so at the time, um, the first time it happened, it happened to me a few times in my youth um, when I was 18. And the first time it happened, I told my friends soon afterwards, someone to rape me. And my friends were like, no, he didn't, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that they were being nasty. It's, you know, our perception of what rape was back then was that 
exactly what I mentioned, you know, that stranger in a dark alley. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this was a boy at a house party, you know, when we were 18 years old. And, you know, but I later on learned in life that if you say no many, 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 many times and are eventually coerced when you're drunk and passing out to do the deed, and, you know, and of course, and it was unprotected because it wasn't a consensual situation, that is rape. Mm. Uh, so, so as I said, the minute I learned consent, I started looking at certain instances I was involved in. And, you know, it was it was quite a horrific realization to realize just how many times I've been a victim of sexual assault and unwanted sexual attention throughout wow. my life, which culminated into a series of rapes later on. Mm. You know, that's such a powerful thing to say, because as you said, um that that is most of our perception that somebody's going to beat you hit you over the head drag you off into a bush which mm. does happen but we forget that there are incidences of of being raped and by people that you know and and you've just reminded me i interviewed um an author a little while ago and she was talking about how she'd been raped by her own boyfriend she was a virgin mm. she didn't want to have sex and you know her whole experience but I also remember when I was researching my my first book, the the relationship magnet, and I was horrified to discover that it was only in the sixties or seventies where, and it was in the UK. Funny enough, the research that I discovered that it was only in the sixties and seventies when they said you cannot rape your wife because up until then, um, women were seen as property, and you could rape your wife if she said no she had no right to say no and if she did you could take her forcefully and i think Mm. so so you saying that just really makes a person think that that rape doesn't have to be something violent it's simply as somebody forcing themselves on you doing what they do your body against your will that's exactly and i also actually the first incident i was a virgin And, you know, I had absolutely no desire or care to go to that party with the intention of having sex. You know, it was, uh, but, you know, I think it, I think I I put my, or I can't say I put myself, you know, I've had to learn to say to myself, you did not put yourself in that situation. It's not your fault. But Mm. I would say I got into situations where I was vulnerable because I had a very low self-worth and, You know, and and I allowed men to, or boys, I won't even call them men back then, to really take advantage of me because I, you know, I didn't have a strong sense of self. And I I think it was my form of self-harm almost. Mm. Um, you know, so one of the other incidences was when I actively went into engage sexually with someone and then didn't want it anymore and started crying, but they wouldn't stop that's right and another incident where uh and trigger warning he i you know we were the intention was to have sex i went with him to a shop and then he pinned me down and raped me anally and i ran out onto the road i'm sorry to share such heavy uh, you know it's it's strange i've never actually spoken in detail about this Mm. in a public platform but I think it's important for women for girls and for women you know especially girls you know who are young and going through puberty or starting you know to date you know fresh out of school fresh out of university 
to realize that your body is yours. And, yeah. you know, some people are sexual, some people are asexual. And, you know, sex is, and being sexualized and sexuality is not something you have to engage in if you don't want to. It's at your pace. That is such an important point, Nicola, because, you know, um, I remember working with a, a few youngsters in the, in the school and they were saying how pressurized they feel on a consistent basis of performing sexual acts that they don't want to do. Um, you know, back in the day, I mean, I know there's like a 20 year age gap between us, more than 20 years, but I mean, back in the day for us, it was about sitting in the back of the bus and, and snogging and kissing and maybe holding hands, you know, but now teenagers are forced to, to have oral sex in the back of the bus. And when you ask these girls how they feel about it, they say, well, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. And, and you're like, but do you like it? Do you want to do it? And they go, no, I don't want to do it. And then, of course, having deeper conversations with those teenagers, and I'm not saying boys don't go through this as well, but I've only had conversations with girls, so I can only speak from that experience. But these teenage girls saying that, you know, boys, and there's such a, a huge access to pornography these days. So boys believe that that is what sex is about. It's about taking somebody forcefully and when a girl says no she actually really wants it she's actually saying yes and then mm. obviously like you were just saying about about anal sex that is such a um a huge thing these days where where even that where girls are saying we're forced to do that and we don't want to do it but and boys are saying well that's what we Oh, that's what we told that's what you do and if you want to be a man and you want to be a boy and you want to be sexy or whatever that is what you do and so this is such a as you said a heavy topic and a, but it's such an important one because our teenagers today are being forced mm. into sexuality when they don't want to be they've been forced into having sex when they don't want to they've been forced to do things that they don't consent that they don't like because they want to be accepted, they want to feel normal, not that there is a, such a thing as a normal. And I think, so you speaking openly about this is, is so important because if we don't talk about it, who else is going to talk about it? Who else is going to say to somebody like you just said, it's your body. If you don't want to have sex you get to say no you get to flip and shout it from the rooftops you don't have to feel bad about saying no it's your body yeah I think it also you know a lot of it stems from uh, you know boys being raised with toxic masculinity and mm. you know and until that changes until the way we we raise boys and to to be men who understand that you know that gender does not necessarily define who you are or what you are or what you have to be mm. then you know, this pandemic will definitely you know subside and um you know just touching on what you were saying about you know like saying no and stuff at yeah. the same time be free to say yes you know I, i'm a big advocate for sex positivity and mm. you know, think it's okay for someone to enjoy their sexuality to enjoy yeah. their kids and to enjoy you know so, you know I mean there's a big BDSM community there's you know I mean there's a lot of very dark or pleasurable or fun or exciting kinks out there and I think that's perfectly acceptable as yeah. long as it comes with full consent from both parties both yeah. people need to be or 
more than both. Let's not assume that you know everyone engages with just one sexual partner. But the point is, in a in a in a sexual space, there has to be full consent from all parties mm. in order for it to be a comfortable and happy act. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I remember watching um, because something I think it was in Grey's Anatomy, and um, one of the guys were teaching his son about when somebody says no and saying when it stops being fun and you're not having fun anymore you have the right to say no just like if the girl the boy whoever you with they say no then you stop and that's okay and I loved what you're saying about but say yes as well because we all get off on different things so um, there is no judgment if if you choose to express your sexuality in the way that you want to express it but as long as you feel comfortable with it and you say yes and the other person says yes and it's consenting it's completely totally and utterly okay because I do think that you know even in in that sphere that you were talking about that there are a lot of people that do feel sexual but they suppress it because yes they feel bad. They feel shame. They feel that I don't understand these feelings and I don't want other people to reject me or I don't want other people to see me as abnormal because I'm feeling this way. Um, so it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of, especially, you know, in, in a lot of religious communities, I think there's a lot of sexual suppression as well. And, you know, the idea that sex is between a husband and wife and you know you must be a happy marriage and have sex and you know and if it's not all hunky-dory or maybe if you're queer or attracted to you know multiple people something you know that's yeah. that's shamed and that's wrong and it's interesting because I grew up you know in the Jewish community where you know I mean we weren't incredibly sexually suppressed you know, but but there's but there there was definitely you know very clear like sexes between a husband and wife. When you get married to the opposite sex, you'll have sex and live happily ever after. And but underground in the belly, you know, especially in those the nineties and the early two thousands, there was a lot of issues yeah. with you know, sexuality and stuff. I remember I must have been about three years old in nineteen ninety one, and I remember going with my parents to Mschlange. My dad always used to auction at the sands, Mschlange sands, every December, and we would go and spend about a month there. It's fantastic. Um, but I was part of a competition called Missum Schlange Sands, which was literally a beauty pageant for three-year-olds. And I remember I came third, and the winner was wearing a G-string bikini. <gasps> he was about three or four years old. And, oh you know, it's one of my first memories. And the fact that already then children were being hypersexualized, you know, yet being told, like, men, you know, um, you know, like, you can't have sex till you're married. So it's, it was kind of this, like, contradiction, which I think was quite confusing, at least mm. for me. And, you know, and I was, I was always... You know, I've always, you know, I've always had like very stereotypical curvy body, you know, very sexy curves growing up as a child. You know, I mean, now I'm post baby, you know, it's all just gone south. But, you know, <laughs> I, always, I was always very thin, but curvy and had curves in all the right places. Yeah. Um, you know, now I've just got the extra curve on the stomach. <laughs> and <laughs> learn to embrace and love and accept. Um, but, you know, and I think as a result of that, I was always hypersexualized. I remember in grade seven, my teacher saying to me, here's five rand, call me when you finish school. You know, when I was in matric, I had, you know, someone involved in my school, uh, you know, 
making advances on me an older gentleman well man i'm not even gonna call him a gentleman and you know so so there was this like hypersexualization meet um, met with this like you know sex sex is not something you do until you're married and and it was it was definitely confusing and it put me in a situation where i had you know extreme anxiety and and a lack of ownership of my body mm. but and and that definitely as I mentioned earlier, put me in a position where I was more susceptible and vulnerable. You know, also being an artist, being a creative, you know, we tend to be a lot more emotional. I mentioned this in the introduction yeah. of the show. And that I think also played a huge factor in making me more susceptible and vulnerable as a victim. Yeah. Now, when you say hypersexualized, so, so are you saying in a way your definition of that is that adults are putting sexuality onto children who don't understand sexuality yet is that, is that a, a good way of putting that yeah definitely like one of my um daughter's teachers when she was like two my daughter arrived to school for dress up day and the teacher commented oh you look sexy you look sexy and and it made me so uncomfortable you know I obviously stopped her in her tracks so i was like that is not a word you use with children no. and, and I don't think people mean it yeah. as a harsh but it's a loaded word it yeah. is a consensual word that two adults can use for each other or more yeah. than two adults can use for each other so that may be incredibly uncomfortable and I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say is yeah. is just endowing sexuality on very small people who do not understand what sexuality is and should yeah. not have to understand yeah because i mean children obviously they have um sexual feelings from a from a young age and i think i was quite surprised or taken aback when i learned this 15 or 20 years ago whatever when you know the psychology of the body and they said well children actually become aware of sexual pleasure when they go into two years old three years old mm. because obviously they get those um those um hormones rushing through their bodies and it's it's completely normal um and then it kind of goes away and you forget about it and then it obviously comes out again in teenage years when we get those next injection of hormones through our bodies and i think it's 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 about handling it with our kids in terms of going, well, you know what, what you're feeling is normal. It's, it's, we have these feelings, but you know, we use it when we're older, when we can make informed decisions, when we can make choices and having that understanding of, of what it is, what it is. So as not to suppress it, but also to try and manage it until you get to an age where you can understand it. Because, because I think um, in this day and age, and maybe it was like this in the past, I don't know, but you find that a lot of teenagers are hypersexualized and especially the tweens, you know, when they're getting into puberty, 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, they suddenly become aware of all these feelings. And it's almost like a lot of people can, older people target that because they know this is the age where children want to feel accepted they want to feel normal they want to feel part of the gang where teenagers feel that their friends are more important than their parents so it goes about everything everyone else so if children don't understand how powerful these feelings are and how other people can take advantage of that so to rather have those conversations with them and say it's okay to feel that that's just your body's way of de you know um, growing and developing 
but you don't have to do anything with that right now because you want to be emotionally ready when you can consent to it. And I think that's, it's quite a difficult subject for a lot of people because they're not quite sure how to, you know, how to talk about that. And maybe it's because adults have never really felt comfortable with their own sexuality. So if you don't feel comfortable, you didn't have that conversation, you weren't brought up with it, how on earth do you talk to your child about it, your teenager about it? It, it, it just makes it uncomfortable, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, I've got two, like two things come up when you, you know, in your last uh, section speech. <laughs> um, <laughs> so firstly, uh, many years ago, I was involved in a roadshow, which, you know, really essentially taught sex positive, uh, taught safe sex to um, teenagers. And we had an anonymous um, SMS line that kids could contact us with their questions or issues. And a big, the biggest topic that came up was pressure from older men. These were, you know, high school kids, mostly like lower LSM, you know, in Cape Town, saying that, you know, there's men that stand outside their school and target them. And, you know, I've had sex with him without a condom or, you know, just, just general pressure from older men to have sex. So I definitely think that, you know, there's a huge pandemic when, older men are targeting younger girls, you know, because obviously they're a lot more vulnerable. It's, it's easier to have your way with a younger girl than it is with somebody older. You know, if a man came yeah. to me now and tried to, you know, have sex with me against my will, believe me, it would be a fight. And yeah. are, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be on the winning end, you know, whereas when you're younger and more vulnerable and not equipped to understand yeah. how to handle a situation like that, mm. it's much easier. And then what you were talking about your kid, you know, with children, you know, my daughter's currently six years old. So, you know, it's sex and sexuality isn't something that's, I mean, sexuality's come up with her because, you know, we're fortunate to know a couple of non-binary people. Yeah. Um, well, that's gender, sorry, not sexuality. Um, but within, you know, teaching her to understand gender, as well as I have a lot of queer friends. So, you know, she's had to, she's, she's learned to understand sexuality, that different people are attracted to different people, mm. you know, that, um, but in terms of her own sense of self, for me, the most important thing to equip her for when it comes to her start, you know, going through puberty and starting to, you know, have sexual feelings is, now I say now and I've brought it up earlier is consent yeah. I'm already teaching her the concept of consent that yeah. no one has the right to see or touch your body unless you allow them to yeah that is the biggest thing for me to teach her and then also when it you know to teach her that your feelings are valid and comfortable mm -hmm. and 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 you know to, to focus on that sex positivity, you know, um, you know, and, and as you said, you mentioned, you know, you, you shouldn't have sex when you're obviously 13, 14, you're too young for it, but, but to instill, you know, explore on your own. I think that's perfectly yeah. acceptable to yeah. say to a kid is to say mm -hmm. it's safe for you to explore your body, to work out what you like, but to not keep quiet about these topics to your mm. kids. I really think because knowledge is power. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, kids are so smart, my daughter said to me yesterday, I actually want to measure my mouth. She said to me, <laughs> I'll explain. She said to me, you know, mommy, 
I just can't help but see measurements in everything. I'm learning about measuring units, and now I just measure everything in my head. And she <laughs> said, open your mouth. So I went, uh, and she said, she went, she says, I think that's six centimeters, your your mouth open, which sounds very accurate. You know, as a costume designer, I'm quite good with measurements. I'm like, Man, that sounds quite accurate. I must measure it. But, you know, so kids are smart. If you teach, you know, I've always yeah. had the, um, I've always had the idea with my daughter that I'm never going to speak to her like a baby. I'm going to talk to her like she's an adult. My husband is also like that from the day she was born. And it's amazing if you teach kids things, they understand them. Yeah. Kids really can understand anything. Yeah. So if you teach your child consent now, they yeah. will understand it. They are not stupid and you don't need to dumb things down for kids. Yeah, Obviously, because, it's a age appropriate topic. But... Yeah, because consent is even more than when it comes to sex, isn't it? So when you teach a child right from the word go, you can assert yourself and say, excuse me, no, that's not okay with me. You know, teaching consent in that way then, then broadens it into to other topics as well because you're basically teaching her to stand up for herself, be assertive, and do what's right for her. Exactly. Yep. I love that. Really, really love that. You know, we're talking here about women and girls, but I know for a fact that it's not only girls that have been um raped or who have been assaulted or have been violated there's a lot of men that are starting to speak up about how they have been violated and, and I remember years ago when the first men sort of started talking about this and saying well they had been raped as well and us as women going wait how, how is that possible how how does a man get raped but obviously then learning more about the physiology and the body and then realizing that you know men rape men as well um but it's also about men raping boys and sexually assaulting boys and i think so it's important to put that out there that although we're having this conversation about nicola and her experience and we're talking about her daughter and, and teaching her about consent that these are the same sort of conversations that you need to have with your boys mm. because they are just as much in danger of being violated by sometimes women, um, older boys, older men as what our daughters, you know? So, I mean, I, I don't know what your, what you'd like to add to that, but I mean, it's, it's a very real thing about human beings in general, isn't it? It's, it's not just when the past, we were always fearful about things like that happening to our daughters because of the, you know, we, we used to perceive it because of the anatomy, the innie and the arty thing, but it, it doesn't even have anything to do with anatomy now because, because sex really is about power and will and about wanting to not even think of the other person and, and, and just, so I don't know what you would like to add to what, what I've just said. Yeah, for me, I would raise my daughter. I mean, sorry, my son, if I had a son, the exact same way I raised my daughter. Yeah. You know, that is breaking down the boundaries of toxic masculinity. Yeah. You know, obviously, biologically, you know, boys are different to girls. You know, you're born with certain body parts and certain anatomy. But in terms of, you know, what's inside of us and, you know, our emotional intelligence, our, you know, emotions, our beings as a whole, we're all just human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, just raising someone to be, I really, you know, 
I really wish that I had had the tools to be self-assured and to be to understand consent. And, you know, I can't look at, you know, I've, my mother raised me incredibly for, you know, the time, you know, she tried her absolute best under very difficult circumstances. Yeah. But, you know, the literature wasn't out there back then. Yeah. There was, there was, no, there was no one saying this is how you get through these things. This is what you do. Mm. And, you know, so I, I can't even go, it was anyone's fault. I can't yeah. blame anyone, but we just simply were not raised men, women, boys, girls, non-binary kids. We were not raised to understand ourselves at yeah. all. Non-binary didn't even exist back then. You know, mm. there was, there was, gay people and they were bad you know yeah. being gay was bad and that's that was that and mm. and so I'm, I'm very grateful and glad that we're living in a world where these conversations are firstly legal because they weren't always and and yeah. you know happening more frequently and you know the age of social media as much as it comes with so much negativity where the positivity comes in is people are speaking up and people are communicating. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very powerful. So, you know, as much yeah. as a lot that needs to still happen to heal the world, we definitely are starting to go in the right direction because, you know, I've always like joke, like, I'm, I'm definitely a hippie, you know, in the 60s, I would have been a hippie if I was born in the 60s. And, you know, because I do feel I have that revolutionary spirit to me. Mm. But What's nice about it is our voices are being heard now on a bigger yeah. platform. Yeah. And that's very powerful. Yeah. And I think you said something really good there is that it really is now about human rights and human rights, meaning you as a human being, no matter what sex, gender, color, creed, culture, mm -hmm. you have a right to be a human being. You have a right to be heard. You have a right to say no. You have a right to say yes. And I think if we can always remember that and what you just said, and, and I'd like to end with this is that talking about you know your emotions and your emotional intelligence and even that in itself not only about helping you to understand and know yourself but being so in tune with your emotions is also going to develop your intuition and when your intuition says something is wrong this person isn't safe this isn't right this doesn't feel right for me it then helps us and gives us almost permission to ourselves to go boy no this is not what I want. And I don't care if you don't like me, reject me, don't want me. I don't give a hoot because I've got to live with me for the rest of my life. So I've got to do right by me. Um, so thank you so much, Nicola, for, for sharing a bit of your story and giving us some insight of, first of all, you've really redefined rape. And I think that was amazing to to explain that to people to understand that it's not about as we said being in the deep dark alley it's it simply is a matter of consent um and sharing a little bit about your vulnerability so that that we can have more people relate and give them permission to be able to speak about it and to heal from those experiences so i really do honor and appreciate you talking about this with us thank you so much for having me it's been amazing very welcome and tune in next time and just to remind you if anything has come up for you you need some advice help and support please just refer to our website where you can be directed to get the resources and the help that you need and next time i will be talking to my co-founder roland rennie about his experiences 
and him being a survivor very much of his own um roland has more lives than a cat <laughs> so we're going to be talking to him a little bit about emotions and surviving the trauma of being a man in this world where the roles that they're showing us about how men should be and how men would like to be seen and i think that's going to be like a really important conversation as well so thank you for tuning in and i will see you next time goodbye from me deborah mcphillamy thank you for listening tune in next time to hear more about how you can be more eq